0: All right. Well, it is glad. I am glad to be here. I know my wife is, too. You know, she gets to just hang out and travel. But the truth is, (laughs) I'd be having problems if she wasn't with me. But, you know, as I I just think about just the welcoming and just the hospitality of Canaan, and, you know, this is just, I think, our third time traveling in the sense of going out to preach in that way. But it's just been a blessing just coming in. And we went to to the Coca-Cola factory and Left with a headache. <clears throat> I say that facetiously because it was designed to cure headaches. Coca-Cola. Did y'all know that? And I left with a headache. <clears throat> that Coca-Cola is strong. It is. I'm not a pop drinker, so <clears throat> I move right along. But it is good to be here. And as as I mentioned, just the hospitality has just been a blessing. And just me and my wife being able to come in, and it's just been smooth sailing in that regard. And even the men's prayer meeting, just excited about what God is doing here. And um, I always felt like God wanted me to talk to men. I guess when you're in prison for 16 years, that's all you get to talk to. (laughs) It's not a co-ed prison. At least not where I was at. But I just want to open up just a little bit and just think about my brother here. What's your name? Don? Don? Yes, because I actually went to prison in Hawaii. So pretty much all my closest friends are Samoans and Tongans and Hawaiians and Filipinos. And that's probably predominantly like my core friends. And they were the ones that was in my wedding. They flew in from Hawaii, and guys was there. And it was kind of a funny, it was kind of interesting. It's a black and white wedding with all the people on my side pretty much (laughs) ex-cons. That's how it was. That's the truth. Good thing my wife didn't choose black and white for our dress, so that was good. But it has been a blessing. I want to just get really into the message this morning, and I I know later on I'll say more about just how God worked in my life personally, and uh, even more about how I met my wife. You know, I met my wife while I was in prison. I don't encourage y'all to do that, but but I did meet her while I was in prison. But if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. <clears throat> I've been in ministry now uh, five years, full-time ministry. I've been serving at Bible Baptist Church in different capacities for almost 12 years now. And I, I went and as soon as I got out of prison, I started plumbing. So I love the plumb. I've been plumbing now. I still p- go plumbing on my days off and I just enjoy it. And I learn a lot about the sinful condition of man when you do plumbing. And I know that you probably don't think about it, but I I really want to make this connection for you if you don't talk to plumbers, plumbers often is this. You know, the worst portion in the house regarding the plumbing is the lavatory. I want you to think about that. The worst smells, the worst place is where you brush your teeth and wash your face at. And you think about what the Bible says about the mouth, the tongue. And just the power and the deadliness of it. And then just in plumbing, I'll be thinking about things like that, like, man, it's not just in the spiritual. It's like, man, this is almost like the worst spot right here where we brush our teeth at. What an amazing thought. But Ephesians four, starting in verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. And to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness. Whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, make an increase of the body until the edifying of itself in love. I'm going to say a few things and I want you to think about what the connection is to these things. Because we live in a society where there is a lot, there is a growing individualization in our in our culture. People think that we don't need groups and we don't need people and you hear phrases like that, love yourself and as though you can just enjoy the capacity of love just by yourself. And and you see just a a breaking away from that ideal of institutions or, or organizations. And I, I deal with that because people, you, I'm out here doing door knocking or witnessing to people. I work out a lot, so I'm always involved trying to reach people at my gym. And, and people are always say, well, I, you don't really need church. You don't need to go to church, do you? I mean, I can worship God right where I'm at. And that's true. But the truth is also, too, is that we think institution. We think organization. But when it comes to God, we want to think different. Let me give you some thoughts about that. If you were to tell me that you are a student, what's the first thing most people think of? Where do you go to school? If I was to say I'm an electrician or a plumber or a carpenter or a welder, most people say, who do you work for? They immediately identify a connection to a company or an institution. If I say, hey, I work out, most people say, what gym do you go to? And if I say I'm an athlete, you're like, who team do you play? What team do you play for? If you go to a restaurant, do you expect them to be organized? Have you ever been to a restaurant where they're just like going around? And you're like, man, I don't even know if we want to eat what we get. I don't think they know what they're doing. You, you expect it to be organized because it gives you a sense of purpose and direction and it kind of gives you an idea of, you know what, um, I think this is going to be a nice place. When you think about being sick or you think about your health condition, most people ask you, oh, so what doctor do you go to? What hospital do you go to? There, there's just an automatic connection that when we say that we are something, or if we identify some, people automatically think, "Who are you connected to?" Who are you connected to?" That's just a natural thinking. We think that automatically, why don't we think like that spiritually? You know, institutions and organizations exist specifically to provide stability and order and to ensure that certain social norms and values are maintained. You know, people used to be formed by institutions. Now, institutions are being formed by people. Let me give you an example of what that means from Bible Baptist Church. I'm on the staff, and a lot of times I usually deal with new members and uh, people wanting to join. And one of the emphasis that we put on... The new member is this. You're joining us. We're not joining you. That's important because you know what? Everybody who wants to join come with their own individual ideas. But that's going to mean something. You know what? That means that if you're going to join us, you're going to have to be willing to adjust them to be a part of the team. We're not telling you to disown your beliefs or work through some things. But you said that this was the place that you believe God brought you to. Therefore, God knows exactly how this place is. And he also knows who you are. And guess what? He said one of the things Paul bring out there fitly joined together. Fitly joined together. Institutions protect us, though. They, they protect us from developing this mindset, I, I'm just going to be a maverick, I'm just going to wing it, I, I'm going to take over the world like the Marvel hero, and it really brings us down to earth to say, Do you know, this is really not about me. This is really not about me. And, and because it's not about me, you know what it does? It, it makes me have to look at myself, and it makes me have to make some serious adjustments In a couple of areas specifically that Paul brings out in Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 16. And there are two primary things. I have to make some open adjustments about my leadership. And I have to make some open adjustments about what am I doing to be equipped? What am I doing to really adjust to what God brought me to to be a part of this place? When I became a plumber, I did, I, like I told the men this morning, I had absolutely no clue that there was even a black plumber, better yet, a pair of channel locks. I had no idea. I was absolutely ignorant of that fact, but I believe God gave me that job. And because God gave me that job, you know what? There was a lot of adjustments I had to go through to be fit into this company to maintain the name and the testimony of our company. I had to make some adjustments. And in this, Paul is bringing out because he's really talking about in Ephesians 4 how do you take a black, white, Mexican, Samoan from a police officer, a drug addict, a drug dealer, to a single mom, a healthy house, a pastor, and go down the line? How do you get all these different people to work together? How how do you get that to happen? I mean, have y- y'all haven't been to Bible Baptist Church. Because you'll be thinking, how do I fit? How, how do Michael Scott fit in Bible Baptist Church? I think it's about 450 of us. I think we might have two blacks. How do I fit? And I was the first black, really. How do I fit? How, how do I really fit? And that's what Paul talks about you fit. If God called you to be a member of this church, then you fit. Yeah. Despite your color, despite your black background, despite uh, uh, where you're coming from. It's like if God called you to be a part of this church, you fit. Yeah. Now, how to get you to fit? That's some work. <laughs> but he tells them two particular areas I want to highlight this morning. The first one is dealing with leadership. There's two kinds of leadership that help accomplish the purpose of bringing unity and growth within a local church. And and the first kind of leadership is the leadership by position. That means you have a position of authority. Uh, The pastor has a position of authority. The Sunday school teacher has a position of authority. Staff, or if you're a ministry leader, you've been given a position of authority, But then there's a second kind of leadership. It's the leadership from a position of love. It's a position of influence where you don't have a title. You don't have a title. Nobody knows your name. They don't come in and report to you, but you have a position. You have a leadership role. You have an influential position. And guess what? Everybody has an opportunity to have an influential position. Everybody. But being in a position of leadership is not the same as being an effective leader. Let me give you some of the thoughts that I remember our pastor giving us in just our own personal training. I'm going to share some of my training with y'all if, you, if you're okay with that. My pastor, he tells us this, when you become a staff member at Bible Baptist Church, the first thing he tells you is that you have a certain amount of respect just because I put you in a position. People respect you just because you're staff. People respect you because you're a Sunday school teacher. People respect you because you're a ministry leader. But let me tell you another thing he tells us. But if you want to influence people, you're going to have to work for that. He, he cannot give me the influence, he can give me the position. But I have to earn the influence. And that's what we're really talking about because influence allows every individual person to take upon themselves their own personal responsibility. I want to affect other people for the glory of God. I really want to see Canaan grow. I really want to see us reach people. And within that, I put upon myself a personal responsibility to learn how to lead out of love how to lead out of love. This is how you lead out of love. You have to make an investment. You have to invest in other people's lives. You, you have to be willing to give of yourself. You, you, will, you have to willingly choose to say no to some things and say yes to other things. You have to be willing to invest yourself. Amen. I'm going to give you a little financial analogy of that is that depending on how much money you have in the bank based off of your investments depends on how much you're able to withdraw rightly. Your withdrawal is dependent upon your deposits. How much are you depositing in other people's lives in Canaan? How much are you depositing in the lives of Covington? That's the kind of leadership that that Paul is wanting them to have here in Ephesus. Not just the position from name name or title, but the position of influence. Where you don't have a name. You know, it's amazing. If you was to go to uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma... People knew me before I was on staff. You know what? I just wanted to reach people. I didn't, I didn't wait till Pastor Hardy to give me a title and say, hey, Michael, uh, I officially name you uh, Outreach Guy now, so go reach Stillwater. No, you know what? I, I, I go to a store and people are on my mind. I go to the gym, people are on my mind. I go plumbing and I'm plumbing these people's houses and these people's on my mind. I see the electrician right there. I'm man, do the man, dude, electricians see, know the importance of being saved. I see the carpenter there. And I didn't have a title. But guess what I did have? A position to influence them. I was there and I was willing to make some deposits. And all those deposits didn't have a quick return. And as a matter of fact, not a lot of them have a quick return. But you know what? Oh, I love the deposits. I love the deposit. Everyone needs to grow to maturity. They need you all, every single one of you need to grow to a point where you're not submitting to the pastor or to staff or Sunday school or the ministry leader out of command. You should grow to you're submitting out of love. You, You love what God is doing. You love the people that God put in place over you. I tell you what, I love Pastor Hardy. I don't think Pastor Hardy hear that from other people. I tell him, I say, I love you. I'm like, you probably thinking, man, I, I, that's just Michael. But you know what? I do love him. Amen. I love him for real. But there's also two levels of equipping. The first level of equipment has to deal with individual because Paul brings out in this pastor of the uh, leadership role, he talks about all these different roles. But then in verse 12, he begins to talk about the function. What is it for? What is this leadership for? What is this influence for? It's to help us develop growth. It has helped us to go to a maturity. It's to help us to move forward in our personal lives and as a church. He, he wants the church to move forward. God wants the the whole body to move forward. Despite where you come from, he wants you to be a part of moving it forward. And then Paul goes on. He says, you know what? What's some of the evidences that we're moving forward as a unit? You know, when you watch football, I I know y'all, some of y'all are probably thinking, man, I sure hope Brother Mike don't take long tonight. Super Bowl night. Got a Super Bowl party set aside. But the truth is, when you think about football, you're like, hey, how how does a football team know that they're moving forward? There's some real evidence. The the, the referee says, first down, you've gained the yards. It's evidential. And Paul said, there's some evidence that we're moving forward. And and we're, we're, we're staying connected, but we're moving forward as a group. And he gives us that. And the first thing he tells us is that the first thing in verses eleven through thirteen, Paul sums it up in this way: that you just have a love for feeding on the word of God and ministering to each other. I mean, as a as a guest, if I if I just stayed around Canaan for a couple of weeks and just kind of observe, what, what I find among Canaan A people that love to feed on the word and just do. I, what I see people feeding each other, how would it look? Are they feeding each other? Second thing is this would I see stability? Verse 14, he talks about having stability. You, you know this stability has a, a very powerful emphasis because I, I want you to think of it from this. How does the church operate when the staff ain't there? Our church, we have staff, we, we have staff training. And we usually go to Colorado. I want you to imagine that all the staff is gone. The pastor, every staff member gone. And guess what? We still have church services. Everything is the same. And the question is, if all if the pastor and the staff and them had to go off and go to get themselves prepared for the next year's vision, vision, could he with all comfortability say, hey, it's going to run the same. We got stability. You know what, that's dependent on your, it depends mostly on you that don't have a title to be willing to grow and have that influence of leadership. Amen. Then he goes on, the third thing says, there's a truth joined with love. How well do you take criticism? How well, I mean, can, can another brother or sister just really come up to you and say, hey, uh, man, I, I, I just want to, I want to talk to you about this. How well do you receive that? I I was, you know, I I was I'm going to tell you all a little bit more about it tonight. But I I do prison ministry with death row inmates. I just I just ministered an execution of five months ago where I was in there holding a guy's hand while he was getting executed. And you know what? When I was ministering to this guy, I had to tell this guy some hard things. And but let me tell you what he told me. He wrote me a letter before he got executed, he said this, Michael, he said, never underestimate the mixture of a little bit of care with the word of God. That's what a guy getting executed told me, don't forget, Michael, don't forget the impact of just a little bit of care mixed with the word of God. And that's what Paul is saying here. It's like would, would, would Canaan have that perspective? That does it look like a place where you got care mixed with the word of God? Paul said, "Truth joined with love." That means sometimes you got to think about how you're going to say what you're going to say. Amen. You know, uh, I, sometimes I guess out of the staff I, I come across. I'm pretty like you know I'm the I'm the spearhead for the staff at Bible Baptist. It's like, man, if it's a hard task, send Michael in first. <laughs> I love it, though, because I was in the infantry, too, in the military. So I was a forward observer. So it's kind of like, I'm, yeah, send me in first. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. But the truth is. That's not how you deal with God's people. It, it makes me have, I, I have to take a long time, sometimes to to walk up to somebody and really talk to him about something that could be critical. Because I have to think about, man, God, I really want to come across the right way. God, I don't want to just win an argument. I really want to reach my brother and my sister. I want them to take it the right way. I really want it to edify. I really want to know that in my mind, if I give them what God said in the right way, and if they do it, they're going to be helped. They're really going to be helped. It's going to benefit them. And that's what Paul is saying. That is a a mark of us growing together and moving forward is that when we're able to speak the truth with love. Let me ask you another question. When people think of you, they're like, no, I'm not going to talk to him. (laughs) Uh, No, pastor, you got to do that one on your own. (laughs) Or maybe as a woman, you just have that spirit where I'm not following him. Don't come talk to me. I ain't being submissive. What are you talking about? I've been doing this myself for a while. Y'all probably think, man, where did this guy come up with all these good examples? <laughs> Ministry, <laughs> people. I get it for myself too, because when God has to cause me to examine myself and how I deal with my wife and how I deal with people at the church. I learned from that myself. But he says that. But if you're going to be growing together and moving forward together, one of the, one of the emphasis is this. You've got to learn how to communicate the truth with care. Amen. Amen. And you've got to learn how to be willing to accept the truth with care. And then lastly, verse 16, he said, from the whole body, fitly joined together. He said, there has to be a spirit of cooperation you just got to be willing to cooperate. I don't know how many of you actually sit in meetings with people. I mean, if you sit in meetings with people, usually you're sitting in meetings with all leaders. You know what that means? Everybody has the right idea. Pastor, if you do it my way, it's right. Every one of us think that way. I don't talk to Pastor Hardy like, Well, you know, I really don't know this is a good idea, but I'm going to throw it out there. No, it's like I'm thinking it's a good idea. (laughs) And then Brother Levi said he throw his out there. I think this is a good idea. I'm looking at him. I think that's got some holes in it, but we can work with it. (laughs) But but he's talking about there's a there's a joining together where there has to be a spirit of cooperation. And that means sometimes, you know what, my idea doesn't get done, but that's okay. I'm going to work with it, and I'm going to work in it to get it done anyway. There's a spirit of cooperation. And Paul said, these are some evidences that you're growing in unity, and not only growing in unity, you're growing together to move forward. And he wanted them to have this because he said that this thing is going to benefit the kingdom of God. It's going to be a blessing to the whole body. Everybody's going to benefit from it, actually. Not just one person. But if there's one truth I really want y'all to keep in mind, I want you to take this home with you. Biblical authority does not stifle personal initiative. Biblical authority does not stifle personal initiative, it equips initiative. It equips initiative. Amen. It equips initiative. Again, I just want to use Bible Baptist Church as an example, because that's the only church I've been a part of. That's the church I'm staff on. So I can use that really comfortably. You know, Pastor Hardy does not have an authority complex. Pastor Hardy doesn't need or desire to have his hands on everything. You know, when you think about it, our church, we have the music ministry, children's ministry. We have an addiction program and none of these are being led by staff. They're all being led by church members. Pastor Hart is not the leader of any of them, but guess what? He's the one that equips the leaders. He equipped the leaders, though. He, He teaches them how to keep a vibrant spiritual life, how to have a right thinking, how to approach their ministries. But he's not the leader. He equips them how to lead. You know, those running these ministries. These ministries are not ran by Pastor Hardy's passion. But they are ran by Pastor Hardest's vision. They were Pastor Hardest's vision. But it's the people's passion that run it. There's two ditches to this. Y'all have y'all heard that before? Two ditches? Amen. Y'all probably thinking, yeah, you've been with Pastor Hardy. That's right. There's two ditches. The first ditch is this there's initiative that is unwilling to be equipped. That's the first ditch is that you, you so you so much a leader, you can't even be told nothing. They can't even help you. The other ditch is this. You're getting equipped, but you don't have no initiative. You're a leader naturally, but the pastor can't teach you. You're not a leader, but you don't want to learn. That's how they look. Let me give you a little something about that, because Your pastor does not need your gift. Your pastor does not need your personality. Your pastor does not need your background to equip you. I do prison ministry, as I mentioned before. Pastor Hardy has no idea what it's like to be in prison or to do prison ministry. He has absolutely no idea. Nothing. He he has no idea. But guess what? Everything that goes on in prison ministry It's through Pastor Hardy equipping me. If you go into prison ministry and and if it looked good and it worked well, I want you to give Pastor Hardy the credit because he equipped me. And I designed the prison ministry to reflect the truths that I've learned personally that I use on staff with the church. But I use it in every other ministry that I'm a part of. He equipped me. Others of you, I want to encourage you, don't wait till you have to be told. To help. Amen. You've heard the phrase before, if you see the need, take the lead. And, you know, even even that I had to put it like a little quotation. If you see the need, take the lead. This doesn't mean just go Rambo. <laughs> That's right. It's still sometimes meaning that you see things that need to get done. Hey. Run it through the staff. Run it through the pastor. Get his mind on it. Because guess what? It's your passion, but you still want to follow his vision. I have a lot of things I want to do at our church, and I'm still like, hey, pastor, what do you think about this? Okay, let's meet. And he's ready to do anything. Anything that would help us grow as a church, that would help us reach our community and help us maximize our capacity as Bible Baptist Church to reach the world. And you got to ask yourself, where am I this morning? Am I the one that needs to be equipped or am I the one that needs initiative? Because I am equipped. And I'm going to close with our pastor's famous, famous quote. A church is stronger when everything is not built around a pastor's personality. But a church is stronger when every when all men. Well, let me, let me, let me say that again. I'm, I'm going to read this exactly. A church is stronger when everything is not built around a person's personality. A church is stronger when it is built around his vision through distributed leadership. Distributed leadership. You know what that means, Canaan Baptist? Every one of you can choose to lead. But that also means every one of you going to have to choose to serve. Amen. That's what Paul was telling me in Ephesus. If you want to maintain the unity and the growth of Canaan Baptist Church, then you're going to, it comes through distributed leadership. You're going to have to be willing to grow to lead, but you've got to be humble enough to serve. I hope that you are encouraged by that this morning. I hope there are some things that God may have spoken to your heart about to say, hey, you know what? I understand that. And not only do I understand it, but maybe God spoke to you specifically about a particular area in your life. Is there a particular area in your life that you've probably been the cause of a lack of growth in your church? Either out of I just don't want to serve or either out of, hey, I'm my own leader. And maybe God spoke to you. I just encourage you to respond to him. Amen.